Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good morning. Great to have you in church this morning. We're in a series called Presence at the moment and this morning we're looking at practicing the presence of God in the everyday. You know, probably one of the things that uh, I see as a church pastor, it's one of the privileges, I think, of being a pastor, is doing this spiritual walk with people where they want to come and speak about their life with God. And probably one of the most common requests that I have when I speak with people is, I believe in God, but I would like to experience Him more fully. I I guess it comes in different words at times, it's said in different ways, But that essentially is what most people come that I get the privilege of speaking to. And I reckon it's a common cry in the human heart because there's something about our encounter with God when we taste something of the divine in our lives that we want more of it. There's something about God that as he engages with us and we engage with him, he reorders our inner world. And so... It makes sense that the hunger in the human heart, once they've tasted a little of the presence of God, is I want to engage with that presence more. It's really not about God becoming closer to us. I think the issue for most people is, how do I develop a more heightened awareness of God around me? Because God cannot be any more present than he is with you right now. God is here. God is present. He has literally poured out his power and his spirit to accomplish all that we'll ever need for life and godliness. And so it's us that are trying to grapple with how do I get a heightened awareness, a better awareness, a more regular awareness of that God who already walks with me. And so a lot of what's happening is a reconfiguring of the way we, our inner posture the inner world of our life so that we can be more aware of that and invite God in. God is a generous God. He wants to presence himself with you. And so if I can posture myself in a way more regularly that allows that to happen, then I will encounter the presence of God more. This morning, I'd like to have a little sneak peek into the private journal of Moses. I think Moses has given us some keys as to how to find the secret place of God and how to be more productive in that place, how for us to come closer to God. And so we're going to have a look at that. And then right at the end, as we, as we kind of land this, this time with, around the Word, I want to take us through a bit of a guided meditation. We're going to do something a little bit different today. I'll speak a little bit more about that as we get closer to the end. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to have a look a little bit about Moses. Psalms 103 and verse 7 said, God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. God taught Moses his ways. God has ways. Or if you like another word, God has patterns. God has patterns in the way that he operates. God commits himself to the patterns. It's why we can say, God is faithful. We observe God as faithful because faithfulness is a quality God has. He's able to 
appear and come to us regularly in the same way all the time. God is faithful to us. That's because he has patterns. He has ways. And when we learn the ways of God, when we learn the patterns of God, we can then cooperate a little bit more with God. The challenge is we've got to get his ways in and our ways out. And that's the journey of intimacy, I think, that God wants to draw us on. When you see this picture here, of actually it's Charlton Heston, not Moses, just in case you were confused for a minute. They did not have cameras back then. But if you see that picture, I think sometimes that's how we picture Moses, you know, the great and mighty leader. That wasn't the Moses that God found. Moses was a man that had a very split identity. He was a man that started his life out having escaped the genocide of his generation. Could you imagine what it felt like to be the baby that didn't get killed when the rest of your generation was wiped out? Can you imagine the, the, the cry and the wail that went out of the hearts of the mums and dads through that generation as all of those babies were slaughtered? And yet Moses was plucked out and placed in Pharaoh's court. I don't know about you, but maybe I'm sure a bunch of them would have struggled with how fair is that God, watching that happen. Moses is now in the courts of the wealthiest nation on earth at the time, the most sophisticated civilization of the time. Moses is learning the ways of Egypt, the sciences of Egypt, the arts of Egypt, probably the mystical arts of Egypt too. He was the step-grandson of Pharaoh, who was, in their way and their culture, God incarnate. He was in the courts of the greatest power on earth, highly educated as he grew. But he was also an Israelite, which meant he was a person that had a heritage with the people that were in slavery, and he knew it. On top of all that, Moses is in the court 430 years or just about when the end of the fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham was coming to an end. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, but you're going to go into captivity for a while, 430 years, and then I'm going to bring you out with lots of silver and lots of gold, and I'm going to establish you as a nation. And anyone that was paying attention to the times and the seasons of that time would have known we were getting close to the end of that 430 years. And oh, Moses is in the palace. I don't know what it would have been like to be Moses, but I reckon the weight of expectation on that man was huge. And so he lashes out, he kills an Egyptian that's persecuting one of the Hebrew people, and then he finds out where he stands. The Hebrew turns to him and says, who made you Lord over us? And then Pharaoh, his beloved step-grandfather, says, kill him. He flees to the desert, a man with no people, no, no family, no future, no heritage, nothing. He is a desolate and desperate man. Forty years he rehearses that in his mind before he meets God. And at the age of 80 years of age, we see Moses 
come to a burning bush with two questions in his heart that you would have thought he would have resolved many, many years before. He's 80 years of age, the burning bush, God is speaking to him through the bush. And the burning bush says, I've chosen you to go to Egypt. And he says these words, who am I that you would choose me? Who am I? He has no idea who he is. And God says, well, you're the guy I've chosen. And if you go to Egypt, I'll be with you. And he says, well, who are you? He doesn't even know who God is. Who am I and who are you? He's 80 years of age. He hasn't worked that out. If you are anywhere further down the road than that, you're ahead of Moses right now. Moses isn't Charlton Heston's picture. Moses is a broken man with no idea who he is. And God comes to him at 80 and teaches him from then how to walk with him. I feel like I've got hope when I see Moses' story. I feel like I could learn something. And therefore, he's a good guy to watch because God taught him something and he wrote it down. And we're going to have a look at the ways that he did that so that our experience with the presence of God could be better. Moses learned that God had ways and ways of patterns. If you look through all of creation, you will see the patterns of God. God is infinite creativity, which means you, you might know the most creative person on the planet walking around right now who's able to come up with ideas and suggestions and art and paint and do all kinds of things, write poetry, write music, whatever. But no one compares to the infinite creativity of God. God is able to do wonders beyond your wildest dreams. The Bible says that eye has not seen or ear has not heard the things that have been, or nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. We won't know what heaven looks like. We can only imagine what it looks like. And even then, it's going to surprise us. God is faithful because he commits all of that creativity to patterns. Patterns are boring for the God of creativity. Patterns are the way we know God. So God's love causes him to discipline his heart to patterns. The world spins on its axis. The earth goes around the sun. The sun rises, the sun sets. The seasons come, the seasons go. Food is on the earth. Rain comes when we need it. We take the rain and pattern after pattern after pattern after pattern, God's faithfulness is seen in creation. God made you a creature of patterns. Did you know that inside you there are thousands of body clocks that actually regulate your body? You have a circadian central clock that is actually somehow linked to the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun so that your body knows when it's time to start to shut down and get its rest and when the sun comes up it knows it's time to get up and then connected to that clock is the thousands of other clocks that run all the organs and the functions of your body. They all know when to kind of shut down for a bit because you don't need them when you're resting, when you're sleeping, etc. You are a creature that is a whole pattern, works every day to a pattern. But it's not just your body that works to a pattern, your motor skills. I'm teaching my daughter at the moment to drive and I'm watching her as she is learning the patterns of driving a motor vehicle the things that we take for granted you jump in you throw the keys on you you know press the button or you turn on your car whatever you've got drive away you 
blinkers on, you're putting your seatbelt on at the same time while you're trying to desperately plug your phone in so you don't get caught on the, you know, thing. You're doing all of this at once while you've got the window coming up and you're placing an order on the McDonald's drive-thru. It's all happening. But I'm watching her as she tries to just connect the dots one by one. But it'll come. Why? Because I've seen her learn to crawl. I've seen her learn to walk. I've seen her feed herself. And I know this will be the next stage for her. And then there's the emotional life, the soul life that sits inside you. You are the product of learnt patterns. Your parents impressed on you certain patterns that you saw were normal to you. The role of significant influences in your life, teachers or mentors, others that have spoken into your life over your lifetime. I still remember being in grade 10 doing poetry reading, which was about as much fun as poking in either a burnt stick, I think. But there, there we were doing poetry, and it was about a, the boxer. Because we had a dog at home that was a boxer, I was convinced, through the lens of my eyes, we were reading a poem about a dog. As we go through the poem, we get to the end, the teacher says, anyone got an idea from the text how old you think the boxer might be? I raised my hand with all the academic splendor I possibly could, wishing to ask one of the great questions. I said, do you want that miss in doggy years or human years? <laughs> she says these words to me, are you an idiot or just a complete moron? <laughs> Don't laugh. I still feel those words. But isn't it true? We have words that echo in our life for years and years and years and years. And we learn to be ourselves through the influences that impress themselves on us. And so we come to God and we realize when we come to God that Isaiah was right. Isaiah 55 says this, God is speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Solomon said it even more clearly. He says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In other words, as right as we think we can be, the thoughts of God are still different. And so we have to, as we're coming to God, as we're learning from God, to take the patterns that we think are truth to us, the ways that we respond, the things that we think is true north, and submit them to God so that he can help us create godly patterns that create life and peace. Not all of the patterns that you have inside your soul are creating life and peace. And God wants to retrain you so that you can be more like him. And so that's the process. As we do that, we start to encounter the presence of God. We start to be more aware of God. We have a heightened awareness of the God around us. And God teaches us to do that. Moses discovered that. That's why I think looking at his journals will be very helpful this morning. Just some foundations first, though, before we actually go to his journals. First thing, and these are truths that I think we have to accept as baseline if we want to encounter the presence of God in greater measure. Firstly, God is not distant. 
God is not distant. The Bible is full of examples of scripture after scripture where he says, I'll never leave you, ever forsake you. There's lots and lots and lots of promises of God where he said, I'm, I'm with you. Jesus' name was Emmanuel, which meant God is with you. God's whole story to you is that he is with you. God is with you. But if in your mind you are convinced that God is in a celestial golden palace somewhere far away and he's watching over you, yes, but he's also waiting for you to mess up, yes, so that he can judge you, yes, then that God will be hard to know personally. But if God is actually with you now as you sit here, that you're actually sitting in the presence of the Lord, and whether it's in church or whether it's at your desk at work, the presence of the Lord is not far from you. If you know that to be true, if you know it to be true, like you know anything in life but you know that is true, then that's a good foundation to start on. Because if God isn't distant, then he can be known. Now I've just got to work out how to know him. Second truth, God is a spirit and you are a spirit being. The Bible says in John 4 and verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Job 32 and verse 8 says, But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. There is a breath of God that is in you that is able to breathe into you the knowledge of God. Not just knowledge in your head, but a felt awareness of God that is with you. You are a spirit, and God is a spirit. So it's actually not difficult for you to find God. That's another important truth to grab hold of. If in your mind God is difficult, then you'll make it difficult. Your mind has an ability, a capacity to actually self-prophesy whatever you think. God's hard or he's difficult, I can't find him. Well, then it's, he's hard. But if God is not distant and God is spirit and I'm spirit and I'm actually made to fellowship with him, it changes the whole thing. Now I've just got to find that path. Number three, we were made to commune with God spirit to spirit. John 14 says this, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we, father, son and spirit, will come to him and make our home with him. The promise of God is that he will come and make his home with me. That's not a flying visit. That's not a, I saw the light on, I thought I'd drop in. That's not you were out and I collected the mail and it's on the front doorstep, by the way. I brought you really been in kind of God. This is, I'll make my home with you. I'll get into your stuff with you. I will walk into your greatest mess and I will walk to the highest mountain with you. That's how committed God is to you. And that's a felt truth that in your heart has to come and become resident to you. The thing that wars against that is point number four here. Our soul needs renewal. The patterns that we have inside ourselves, in some cases, don't just even need renewal, they need to die. Paul talked a lot about crucifying the flesh 
crucifying the patterns that keep wanting to take me on a different course of thinking and feeling and believing. Put them to death. Why? So that the new man can rise, resurrected man. The life of Christ, the mind of Christ can rise inside me and that mind can form how I think and how I feel. I'm not locked in a prison of my thoughts and feelings. My God can set me free if only I can learn the patterns he wants to show me. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God is teaching us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we do it according to the truth of God. And when we do our reflection a bit later, I'm hoping some of this might come alive for you. So let's go to Moses' journal. Scholars believe, uh, well, there's no agreement, but somewhere between 2 and 11 psalms were written by Moses. I'm going to go with the 11 psalms because I kind of think that's true. Who am I? But I just, that's what I think. Um, and so the two psalms I love to look at the two journal articles of Moses is Psalm 46 and Psalm 91. If you want to put your finger in your Bible, if you've got the old-fashioned one, um, that'll be good. Uh, otherwise, it'll come up on the screen. Just one verse in Psalm 46. It says this, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In Psalm 91, verse 1 to 6, says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Ooh, love that word. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. In these couple of Psalms, Moses is observing things that we need to do so that God can do what he needs to do. Let's have a look at this. Psalm 46 and verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. Only in stillness can you truly know God. Moses is saying there is a knowingness that comes when all the noise that's inside your mind and heart stops. Now, Eastern meditation would want us to empty ourselves completely. Christian meditation says, no, I want to, God says, I want to fill you with my truth. In other words, I want something different speaking on the inside with you. I'm not looking for nothingness. I'm looking for my substance inside you. Two very different processes. Christian meditation, the truths of God. Only when we cease from our own thoughts and striving can we hear God. There's a, there's a part in Scripture in Exodus 33 where Moses asks, actually he prays four prayers. The fourth prayer he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, sure. So he takes him up on the mountain, he puts him behind a rock, he covers him with his hand, he walks past, and he says, you can't see my face, but I'll let you see my back. And when he got past him, he took his hand away and he saw the glory of the Lord. The interesting observation for me is that when the glory of the Lord is manifest, there is no man you can see. There is no thoughts. There is no wisdom of man 
There's no voice of man. The exact opposite happened when Adam sinned. When Adam found himself, the presence of God left him. And so God's inviting us back into his presence, but we need to be filled with the truths of God that allow that to happen. I must know the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is not a, a cognitive knowing. It's not memory verse time, people. There's nothing wrong with a good memory verse. But it's not what I know in my head. It's what I know inside. It's what becomes part of me, what becomes incarnate to me. It's second nature to me. And when I know that truth, I will be free. The instant that I know it, I'm free. The instant that I know it. The knowledge of the truth of God, it's the, it's the great mystery, the incarnation of God's words into the heart of man. When the presence of God is absent, you will only ever be aware of yourself. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm a bit sick of hearing from myself. I'm a bit inclined to be an overprocessor. And I don't like being an overprocessor because it never gets me anywhere. I've found I overthink everything. And the best thing I can do is sit with God and say, God, I, I want to stop the striving of my heart and I want to enter into you. And I want your words to come to speak life inside me again. While you're making all the noise, God becomes difficult to hear. And so the Christian walk, the time in the secret place is about learning to be still. Not go to nothingness, but just be still. Replacing the the inner dialogue that I have with the cool, calm, peaceful words of God as he speaks to me. Be still and know. Moses wrote in Psalm 91, he says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. You know, all of us have a secret place right now. Even if you've walked into this building today and you've never given your heart to Jesus or you know God at all or you've walked with God all your life, you still have a secret place. It's the place that you go to where you find refuge and fortress. What is refuge? Refuge is the place where you hide, where you renew, where you bring back again the sense of connection, where you're able to find again yourself. What is the place of fortress? It's the place you fight from. It's where your weaponry is. It's the place that you, you, you attack. You go out against your enemies from the fortress. And we need to both rest and fight. Rest and fight. It's part of any walk that we have in life. But he who dwells in the secret place will say of the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress. It's not... Netflix, you are my refuge. Second glass of wine, you are my refuge. Me time, you are my refuge. I'm not saying in and of themselves any one of those things shouldn't exist. What I'm saying is, what are you saying of those things? Are you saying of the Lord, you are my refuge and fortress? Because what you say that to is the God you trust. You know what I found really difficult about that walk? Is in this three weeks of prayer and fasting, one of the things I've 
I am fasting from is all media, all movies, all TV. It's kind of killing me because the English Premier League's happening and I'm missing all the Champions League stuff and oh man. It's actually harder than I thought. It's harder than I thought. I, I hadn't realised. I felt God whispered to me last November when we were planning this series. As soon as we started to plan, I felt like God said to me, that's what you will fast. Now I'm going to do some food stuff too, but that's what you will fast. And I began to recognize that I have let that creep into a place where I would retreat. The introverted me that wants to get away from people, I'd find that movie and I'd just want to lock into one or two and just, you know. And I felt like God say, hey, I'm your refuge, aren't I? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Moses observed there were two sources of false refuges and false fortresses. In the next part, if you read on a bit further, he says, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. What is the snare of the fowler? The snare of the fowler is, uh, well, what's a fowler? It's a bird's fly in the sky. They get trapped by fowlers who are trying to trap them for whatever reason. There's no earthly reason why birds should get trapped by fowlers. They fly into the sky. If they stay up there, they're fine. If they land in trees, they are fine. But what causes them to leave the safety of the air to walk on the ground on legs they're not designed to walk on is the bait that attracts them. They have an appetite for the bait, so they leave the safety and they take the bait. And the fowler gets them. God wants to take from you the appetites that are substituting for him. The thing that you're going to that you believe is giving you strength. And at one point it did because all of those patterns were waters for a season. And then they get a little old. And then they get a little futile. And then they get a little bit trapping. And the perilous pestilence. Well, what's the perilous pestilence? A pestilence is an infection. It's spiritual coronavirus. It's the associations that you have the inputs that you receive that get into you and infect you. The thoughts, the ideas, the philosophies, the ways of doing things, the way that people influence you, the pestilence of this world that wants to tell you this is the truth, listen to this. And God wants to weed out those things that have, be, have distorted what we think truth really is and replace it with his own truth. And Moses saw that in his own life, and that's why he said, when I make you my refuge and my fortress, you point out to me these things, and I get freer because of it. God needs us to replace our appetites and influences with our desire for him. And then it says, these last couple of verses in Psalm 91, he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. We've spoken a little about this before on this stage, but the wings that he's talking about covering you is in the Hebrew prayer life, there was the prayer shawl that they would stand under to pray. And if you've ever seen, they still today, Jewish people, you'll see them get under their prayer shawl, spread out the wings of it, and they'll pray. Around the border of the wings is written words, words of the covenant of God, the words of God's truth that they are covering themselves in as they come before a holy God. So God wants to be able to put his truth into you 
that you will write on the borders of your prayer shawl as you come to God. What are the words you're going to write? They are your prayers to God that he answers. It's the covenant of God that's real to you. I can know lots of scripture, but it's the stuff that comes alive. I found when God answers prayer for me, that's when I know God's real. I can see it in your life and I praise God for that. But when I have a need and I come to God and I wait on God and God brings some answer to me and I can say, thank you, Jesus, for the breakthrough, something in my heart says God is real, he's with me. And I can write it on my prayer shawl. The next time I'm under that prayer, I can say in my heart, God, you're with me. I know you are because I can point to that and that and that and that. You did this and this and that's good. Now, right now, I'm waiting on an answer, but I'll wait for you because I know when I wait, you'll come. Folks, that's called faith. We wait for God because he is my refuge. Yes, I want to leave the pressure and grab my refuge. No, he is my refuge. I will wait for God. I will wait for him. I will be still and I will know that he is God. I will be still and I will wait and I will hold that ground. I will stand Having done all, I will stand. I will hold by faith the fact that he is my God. Even if, he, even if I die waiting, he is still God. I can't rub out the truth that he is God. Even if I don't get what I'm asking for, he is still God. Can you hear me? He is still God. And so I will wait. Something inside the human heart dies a little bit when we start making those stances because everything inside us wants to act. God steps out of the pages of the Bible and becomes your refuge. I have a friend of mine who's just going through cancer treatment. In fact, he's through the other side of it now and a substantial portion of his body has had to be removed in order to take out uh, the cancer and there's a reasonably rigorous physiotherapy role to be done now to get all sorts of mobilities back in and I was talking to him or probably every second or third day to how you going how you going particularly through some of the heavier times and just recently he said to me he said to me can I tell you something I would never want to physically go through this again this has been horrible and praise God they got it all and, and his prognosis is very very good he said I don't want to go through this again but can I tell you, I would do it all again for what God has done for me. What I feel, God, his presence, his nearness, the way scripture has just opened up to me when I've really needed it. There's been times when I've just been, he said, I've just been desperate for a, for a word from God. I've felt just depression coming in around me and this sense that I can't get out of where I am. And then I'll just read something and I'll feel the presence of God. And he said, they've been such good times. And it makes sense. You know, he says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil, our cup runs over. There's a really lush place of communion when our enemies are breathing down our back and we're facing in the table towards our Saviour and he's talking to us. We never listen quite like we do when we really need to. We never hear quite like we can when we're desperate for the answer. 
We choose God because his words of covenant become refuge and fortress to us. So the presence of God in the everyday now is cultivating this walk with God, this secret place, this dialogue, this conversation. My marriage with God must be more than just printed words in a document I don't read. My marriage to my wife is a relationship. Yes, I can point to the certificate we signed in the marriage register, but if that's all I've got to point to, then our relationship would be pretty sad. It's the story of our relationship. It's the ups and downs. It's the answers. It's the disappointments. It's all of that that fuses a life together with another life. And that's the journey that God is inviting us into with him. I'd like us to um, just pray in a minute now. I just want us to have enough time to be able to just do this little meditation together. Don't be concerned. It's not a difficult thing. And look, for those who just want to watch this whole thing happen, you sit there, fantastic. Be at peace. Do whatever you feel comfortable with. There'll be those who have walked with God a lot and what we're going to do now is very simple and and you would say, well, it's too simple for me. That's fine. Please give us the grace. But I know there'll be some others here who say, I would like the chance to understand what I might do when I come to the secret place. How will I fill my time? What does it mean for me to try and get the words of God to write on my heart? How would I do that? And I don't know about you, but I find the Bible's very clear on what to do. It's not always real clear on how to do it. So, you know, we discover these things with God. And my prayer today is not to elevate the, the process that I'm about to share or to work with you on, but actually just to offer it as a way that you might want to fill your private time. If it's useful, please use it. If it's not. And I might for one minute say there's not other ways to do it or other scriptures you can use or other pathways you can. Of course, there is. But this morning, I thought it might be a useful way for us just to land together. Can we pray? Father, this morning, I thank you for your presence. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. And I pray, irrespective of however I've communicated today, Holy Spirit, that you will have spoken into the hearts of the needs that are here. God, that your words would speak life into people's hearts, that we would leave this place in a different place than when we came. Father, thank you for the way you honour your word and are faithful to your word. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got some scriptures we're going to put on the centre screen here just for, for you to see. And what I want to encourage us to do, just if you feel comfortable, right across this room, just close your eyes in a prayerful way. And these scriptures, we're just going to step through one at a time. And I'm going to speak them to you and maybe speak over a little bit as we reflect on what these scriptures mean. And then tying some scriptures together, look at how God's word can become part of our identity and our inner posture if we allow it to. The first one, just as we've got our eyes closed. The Bible says in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is, word is very clear that no matter how much I think I can present myself to God 
as someone worthy of his holiness, I actually can't do it on my own. And it's not just me. No matter what your walk has been, no matter how terrible you feel your transgressions may have been, or how perfect you think perhaps your walk has been, it makes no difference as we approach a holy God. The Bible is clear that all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so the Bible says then in 2 Corinthians, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that Jesus took every single part of my life that would have presented itself to God and stopped me from entering his presence. This is the part we have to catch today. Every part was taken by Jesus. Every part. Every part. Every sin. Everything. 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 Jesus, who knew no sin, became the righteousness of God and gave us that righteousness. He gave us the standing he has with the Father and he said, you are now the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's all I have to do, Father, is just confess my sin. God, it seems so simple. Your word is your faithful expression. And you say to me, confess your sin. He will forgive you of sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Not half of it, not only the really easy stuff, not the stuff that sort of looks socially acceptable, but all of it. All of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. The guilt or the shame that I've carried because of it, I'm free of it. He wants to lift it off me. He doesn't need me to pay a price for it. He doesn't need my pain to prolong anything. He doesn't need me to add any suffering to what he has already suffered. He just wants me free. He just wants me free. And as you think of those words, let the weight of them sit on you. God just wants me free. He wants me free. 
When we ask what's the will of God, the will of God is that we'd be free. Not just free, but free indeed. I'm not sure what the difference is between free and free indeed, but at any rate, he wants us free. 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 Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Ha ha. Oh, Father. There's no connecting the dots between the east and the west. One line goes infinity this way. Another line goes to infinity that way. God, you're not storing up all my sins in a book so you can belt me over the head of it later. You're not going to bring it back to remind me. You're not holding it over me like some kind of messed up contract. You're actually trying to remove them so far from yourself that it's impossible to find again. Oh, God, that's real freedom. That means my account balance is zero. Zero. It really is zero. Then Romans chapter 8. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If I have no sin and I have the righteousness of God, then I can come boldly into the throne of grace. I, I can because there's actually nothing that will stop that connection now. And anything that does stop it is something I've imagined because, God, you've removed every barrier. I don't have anything to stop me from coming to you. I am a child of yours. And church, today it's the feeling of that sense that the weight has gone, that I actually can just talk to God my father, my friend, he's so good. He's so kind. He's so present. He's just as warm as a nice apple pie and he's as calming as a cool breeze and he's as kind as the kindest grandparent you've ever known. And he gives gifts to his kids and he wants us to play with those gifts and he wants us to enjoy the world that he's put us in. And he wants us free of anxiety. He wants us free of fear, depression. He wants us unshackled by the things that cause the quality of our joy to dissipate wants to fill us up. We're children of God. And then it says in Galatians 3, for you are all sons of God. And ladies, you put your daughters in there. For all, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm a son of God. 
I'm a son of God. I realize I haven't created the platform for myself. No, no, God created it, but still he created it. I can't keep pretending that he didn't do it. He did it. He created it. He, he built his whole dream for me was that I would be reconciled to him. So I'm reconciled. That's it. That's it. Any other voice is a lie. Any other voice is a mythology. Any other thought inside me that wants to say, no, you're not worthy, is not true. That's a voice that I need to begin to move away from. I need to let the heart of God come into my heart again. For I'm a son of God. And I'm going to run into his bedroom like my kids used to in the morning and they're going to jump as they jump up and wake us up and say, hey, wake up, the sun's up. Just, <laughs> it's up. I can do that with my father. I can run to him. And he says, hey, good to see you. Welcome. What's happening? What's going on? The father loves us. Loves us. So good, Father. I don't know how helpful that process is for us to do, but, and it's not always easy to do guided meditation out loud in front of a thousand people, you know, so forgive me if it was a little bit clumsy, but the idea was to try and give you an impression of how you would take words of the scripture. Get your phone and photograph that if that's going to help you. But, and you can use many different scriptures, but the posture is this. I'm talking with God about the truths of God so that they become massaged into my being so that I start to believe what he says. I want to be thoroughly and totally brainwashed with the truth of God. And I have no, I'm not ashamed to say it, because I'm sick of my own truth. It's got me nowhere. Now, why don't we stand this morning? We're going to just sing a song of worship to him. Thank him for his goodness to us, for all that he's provided to us, the generosity of his heart. And I want to encourage you this morning. Let's sing with a full and a glad heart to him. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.